you feel free to fan yourself. It won't offend me one bit. And uh, I'm used to being in countries where this is a cool day. So uh, it's good missionary training for you. Uh, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, our American culture. This is actually, you know, a, a little uncomfortable with the heat. And uh, hopefully it will get better, but I'm not promising you that. Uh, but I am reminded this week uh, just... Um, just something stunning how God is expanding our reach from this church and who we are in discipleship, small circle. Our Cuban connection linked me into a, a young man uh, who's probably in his upper 20s in Nepal, which borders, if you don't know, I have to kind of look it up to be honest, borders India and China. And uh, they have uh, brought the message that we have sung this morning to the most remote villages um, near the border of China. It's very difficult uh, to get there. They went on a, they were getting, when I met him three weeks ago uh, via a video call, uh, they were getting ready to do a two and a half week uh, mission, uh, which meant the first leg was on a bus going uh, 20 uh, hours, uh, probably chock full of different animals, to be honest with you, with no air conditioning and went to the, uh, the, the, they're going up to the borders of uh, China and to, to villages, almost like Paul's second missionary journey, to uh, uh, go back and follow up on these villages uh, that they had brought the message of, of Jesus, his blood, his forgiveness to previously. And uh, as I talked to him about the importance of discipleship, of really grounding new believers, because all around the world, what we're finding is that there's a, a groundswell in, in uh, people coming to Christ, but if they're not followed up with, then what happens is kind of this, this uh, com combination of superstition, uh, Catholicism, legalism, it's just a, it's a mix. And so grounding new believers is so critically important, and that's where uh, it helps to have tools, which, you know, I thought was an America, American phenomena, but it really is a global phenomena that there is this absence of tools. So he and three other 20-somethings gathered around our tools, uh, translated half of the one that we have for new believers, it's called Next, in a matter of days, uh, and worked all morning until evening to translate them. I have pictures I'll show you at another time of uh, a whole group of new believers on the border of China with, uh, with the tools in hand being discipled. So uh, it's, yeah, it's stunning. Uh, so from the corner of Macintosh and Ashton, God can do more than we ask or imagine. Uh, and it begins in our hearts. It begins with what God's doing right here. This just is an outflow to, to the world. Lots of uh, super amazing things going on. Um, around the world. And right here, we have a church here in town that's going to do, begin training in our discipleship uh, uh, tools. And so it's, it's uh, stunning what God is doing. It's really good to have a, uh, an opportunity to rub shoulders with those of other cultures because you begin to see this, this sense of um, a core question that human beings have. We're beginning a new uh, a collection of conversations this morning, and uh, uh, the title is More. Uh, when you think of the word more, sometimes it's a comparative word that, 
This is more than that. Sometimes it's an increasing, like we want to get more of something. And so we're going to spend quite a, a, a number of weeks on this through the summer because uh, this is such a, such a core to our, who we are and who God wants us to be and who God is. And so today we look at who God is and this core uh, question, I think, is so uh, um, permeates all of the globe. And the question is this, how do I get okay with God? Am I okay with God, and, and how do I do that? Thus, we have billions of people in religion. We have billions of people who are trying to uh, genuinely. I have seen religion around the world, and I've seen a genuine effort. Those who are uh, authentically trying to search for God, and they do it through uh, a lot of different means. But religion happens to be the main vehicle. And so we, we are gonna ask, we're going to answer that question today. Am I okay with God, and how do we, how do we make sure that's okay? Now, for Christians, we, I'm, I'm thinking that, I'm assuming that many of you have, okay, I, I kind of know where you're going, but even if you do, I think there are times that it is good for us to review. Because every human being that you come in contact, whether it's where you live, you work, you play, has this question on their mind. Now, some people don't think they do, but we're wired in such a way that they're, they're trying to answer that question through other means. What is the purpose of life? Now, they may do it through their jet skis or their, their snow skis or their ambitions or their job, etc. But God has wired us in such a way that Solomon said that he's put, God has put, our creator has put eternity within us. So, you can't get away from it as a human being that you have this quest even though you know it or you don't know it. So when I was 18 years old, 19 years old, 20 years old, I was on a quest, but I just didn't know what it was. Then when we find that that quest is a spiritual quest and that God is our, our ultimate quest, then even your earthly, your worldly ambitions start to make sense. Oh, that's what I was looking for. I just didn't know it. Some tr people try to find this in relationships, in love, in physical relationships, and they think this is where, uh, this is going to get it for me. This is going to scratch that itch that has been put in me, even though you don't know what the itch is. Does that make sense? We're going to land today in the book of Job, the book of Job. Now, let me just give you a little bit of background on the book of Job, because it, um, it will help us with the context. Job is a, an extremely interesting book. Now, on the surface, we know it was about a guy who had a lot of stuff, and then disaster, um, you know, came over him. Uh, there was something, there was, you know, a, a, a plot going on behind the scenes where Satan had gone to God and said, hey, you know, God was actually bragging on my boy, like, hey, here's Job, he's a righteous guy, you know, what do you think about that? And, and so Satan says, hey, well, let me, let me touch him and let's see how righteous and how much he loves you. So Job had no idea that subplot was going on behind the scene. Job couldn't figure it out. Three friends arrived, and uh, quote, unquote friends, and they, you know, were certain that Job had done something wrong. Job was like, I honestly, I kind of searched myself, took in some inventory. I don't think I've done anything wrong, but something is broken here between me and God, and the friends were like, oh, we got that all figured out, blah, blah, blah. So that's kind of the surface story, and, 
and then uh, God restores things at the end of the story. Now, what's interesting about the book of Job is that it is the oldest written book in the Bible. And you think, well, wait a minute. I thought Genesis would be the oldest written book of the Bible. But track with me for a second. Moses wrote the book of Genesis. So Moses wrote, you know, the first five books of the Bible. He went up on the mountain. God is just transcribing what's going on even before his time. When you read the book of Job and you look in between the lines, and we won't get into it, it would probably bore most of you, but you know, some, of the, some of the things happen, an attack from the Chaldeans and whatnot, and you look at the Chaldeans and where they fell in history, you look at the professions of the people that work for Job and blah, 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 and you put it all together, and at the end of the day, the book of Job, the occurrences of Job, the reality of Job probably happened in the time of Abraham. So now this book is being recorded in the time of Abraham, okay? But Moses came after Abraham. So what I'm saying is it's not the oldest occurrence in the Scripture. Of course, the creation story is, but the actual recording of this story happened. Now, why is that important? Some of you are like, boy, now I'm hot and bored. So uh, 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 that's perfect. So uh, the reason that's important is because when Moses came on the scene, there was this systematic path that God initiated through the sacrifice of animals in order to be okay with God. This comes before that systematic declaration or definition of how you can be okay with God. What's also stunning is the revelations in the book of Job. There are scientific revelations in the book of Job that were not figured out by scientists hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later. When You just Google that because we, we can't get into that uh, today, but I'm telling you, and there are revelations that you're going to see today that are remarkable when you consider that this happened, most people believe, in the, the time of Abraham, okay? We're going to see something really crazy here, okay, in the book of Job. Okay, so, um, so now disaster has befallen Job. Now his friend, uh, one of his three friends, Eliphaz, is going to speak, and Eliphaz um, articulates what most people believe is the way to be okay with God. Okay? Here we go. Job chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 4 through 7. Eliphaz speaking to Job. He says, your words, because Job has said, hey, I haven't done anything wrong. Your words have supported those who have stumbled. And by the way, we've all stumbled. The Bible says that all have sinned, no exemption. We've all fallen short of God's expectations, the glory of God. Your words have supported those who have stumbled. You have strengthened faltering knees, but now trouble comes to you and you're discouraged. It strikes you and you are dismayed. Watch this. Verse 6, should not your piety, now that's, that's a word we don't use that much anymore, but your your rightness, your good works, your good behavior. Should not your good behavior be your confidence? Ask most people, how do you get to heaven? I'm a good person. I'm not a Hitler. I'm not a Hussein. I'm not, you know, a murderer. My neighbors, you know, party until all hours of the night. I'm not that. 
and that is my confidence. Should not your good behavior, your piety, your holiness, whatever, I'm going to say good behavior, we relate to that. Should not your good behavior be your confidence and your blameless ways, your hope? Should not that be the thing that you say, that's how I'm connecting with God? You ask the majority of American people, how are you getting to heaven? I'm a good person. That's what they'll say. Then he says this, consider now, who being innocent has ever perished? I mean, good people. I mean, God would, would God just like, you know, perish means, you know, doomed. And where, where were the upright ever destroyed? So Eliphaz is saying, this is what I was thinking. But then something happened. And so I'm going to ask you to put on your hat that says, wow, any, this is a supernatural, this is a supernatural world here that we're talking about. The kingdom of, of God is not like the kingdom we, the, you know, the, the earth we see, the world we see around us, okay? So watch what happens. Then he says in verse 12, Eliphaz, same guy. This is what I'm thinking. But in this moment, he says this, but a word was secretly brought to me. In other words, there was a revelation. What I would say to us is that when every person comes to that moment where they see it, like, wow, I see, I see how to get to God. It's that secret moment. It's not like somebody shouting in our ear and like, okay, I'll do it. But there's something inside that says, oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute. I'll never forget the night that Billy Graham was preaching, and I was watching him on this little uh, black and white TV. I was in college, and uh, I had no desire to search for God. I had no, no uh, ambition spiritually. And I'm watching it. Now I know why, but back then I'm like, I don't even know why I would be watching Billy Graham, to be honest with you. I was a happy-go-lucky musician, having fun, top of my game, having a blast. Billy Graham would be the last person I'd ever watch on my little college-sized black-and-white TV. And in that moment, it was like a secret revealed to me. I did not come to Christ. I did not make any spiritual decision. But inside of my heart and my inner being, I thought, hmm. That may be something that I need. That little secret moment inside was the moment I think we all have. That little that moment. Eliphaz said, a word was secretly brought to me. My ears caught whisper of it. Amid disquieting dreams in the night, when deep sleep falls on men, Fear and trembling seized me and made all my bones shake. Let me just put it in our words. Something in the middle of the night freaked him out, okay? Verse 15, a spirit glided past my face and the hair on my body stood on end. This just happened to me last Tuesday. I'm kidding. It did not <laughs> This is a supernatural phenomenon that most people don't experience, okay? But God 
revealed himself through the written word with Moses and then through the written word, of, you know, through the New Testament, etc. But back in this time, there were revelations going on that were different, okay? So this, this spirit glided past him. He's freaked out. Verse 16, it stopped before I could tell what it is, what it was. A form stood before my eyes, and I heard a hushed voice, kind of like Elijah, the still, hushed voice. Let me ask you something before we go on. I know right now some of you are like, wow, that is, you know, and some of you are like, it's still hot in here. I know. <laughs> so some, some of you may say, man, I relate to this because God rarely screams at me. It is usually that, that sense, that whisper, that hush, like, yeah, that's what I should be doing. Yeah, that's who God is. Those moments, are you with me? That, that you're tuned into that bandwidth. You remember Elijah, you know, there was a storm, there's a whirlwind, there's an earthquake, but God was not in that. It was in that hushed voice. I want to flip over before we finish this passage to Numbers chapter 12 when God spoke to Moses. Watch this. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 8, God said of Moses, when I speak to Moses face to face clearly and not in riddles, he sees the form of the Lord. Now, I did quite a bit of study on this this week, and there's some discrepancy on like who and what this form was, but I, it seems that it is the voice of God, okay? But let's not get caught up on that. What we do know, what we can all agree about, is that there was something supernatural that happened in the inner voice that hushed voice that gave him a revelation. Let's go back now to Job chapter 4, verse 12 through 17 in this verse. This was the thing that God said. This is the thing that was said. I'll say it that way to be safe. This was the thing that was said in this hushed moment. And I believe that it is the key that tackles, that answers all of religion right here, right in this verse. This, this occurrence, freaking out, the, the door of the supernatural world is opened up, and instead of this large scream, earthquake, tornado type thing, there's that still hushed voice, and the hushed voice said to, the, said to this, said, said this to Eliphaz, can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? He's answering, can your good behavior be good enough for God? So I want to I give you, <clears throat> sometimes it's helpful to, to look at the original, and it's not just to be stuffy or you know, snooty or anything. It just gives us, the, captures the, the reality. Because in the, old, in the Old Testament particularly, there was this thing called parallelism. Often it was something said, and then something said again, that's parallelism, that uh, the second thing that said amplifies the first thing. So uh, Psalm 103, uh, praise the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, now that tells you what the soul is, all that is within me, praise his holy name. It says the same thing, but it, the second part amplifies the first part. Are you with me? There's sometimes, however, there's an opposite. Uh, the lazy man will uh, you know, lose everything he's got, and the, the diligent man will prosper. So there's a, there's a phrase that says, hey, here's one thing, here's the other. This is one of those opposite moments, okay? 
When you look, this is, this, um, is so brilliant on the part of God because it answers both ends of the question about good behavior. So I've put up here um, these, these original Hebrew words. Can a mortal, enyos, be more righteous than God? Can a man, geber, be more pure than his maker? Enyos means the absolute weakest human being. The absolute, man, you don't have anything to offer. Can, you, can a weakling... A mortal, that was the word that's used, can a weak mortal be more righteous than God? And the second one is the opposite of that. Geber means, the mo- it means Hercules, the strongest individual, the most intelligent individual, the most articulate individual. Can that person that's got everything going for them in every way be more pure than, it, than the one who made him? So weaklings and Strength. So let's take the second one first. Can a person, by their great effort, be more um, powerful than God so, or, or pure as God? So watch this. A couple things to, to set it up. Psalm 33, verse 16 says this way. No king is saved by the size of the army. Now, does it say a king shouldn't have an army? A country shouldn't have an army, a big army? Of course not. It's not just saying that. I'm just saying just keep it in perspective. You can have the most powerful weapons and the biggest army in the world, but that doesn't mean that that's the thing that's going to save you. No warrior escapes by his great strength. Should a warrior have great strength? Yeah, he better, but that's not going to save you. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all of its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on all those who respect him, who fear him, who bow down to him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. This is the thing that will deliver them from death. Now, when you think about how we try to get to God with our strength, sometimes that's money. There are some people that are... um, uh, uh, of great means, and they give, and they give, and they give. They give to UNICEF, they give to the United Nations, they give to this. And in doing so, by that strength, they think, now this, uh, certainly, I'm loved by God, and I'm going to heaven because I'm giving a lot of money. Some people, you know, when you read this verse, they think it's kindness. I am the most kind person. I'm not saying that of myself. I'm really not. I'm the most kind person, and I'm going to, and by that kindness, have you ever known someone? I have known a, a people, a good number of people that are kinder than Christians that I know. You know what I'm talking about? Especially Christians sitting in a really hot room with a guy who just won't shut up. There is this sense of, man, I'm nicer than a lot of people, and that is my strength. That is my geber, that is my power to get to God. Some people have money, some people have kindness, some people have goodness. Man, I, I, I obey all the rules, I keep the laws, I do all this stuff, and that's how I'm going to get to God. And God would say, all of that stuff is not good enough. In Isaiah chapter 57, verse 12, I will expose your righteousness, your good behavior, your good works, your kindness, your giving, and they won't benefit you. So I brought in a little bit of a, I heard, I saw a preacher do this once, and, I, and it just is so clear. Um, so at least we're going to do cartoons to keep you uh, entertained in, your, in the heat. So watch this. Let's say, for example, we have 
know if you guys can see it on the side there. I'll come back a little bit. Uh, here is uh, us, and let's say, and here is God, okay? Now, this is going to be a scale of perfection, okay? Scale of perfection. So God, we know, is perfect. So this is on a scale from 1 to 100, and let's say this is 1 to 100, this is, this is God. So this guy was talking about being on an airplane, and he was talking to somebody, uh, and he, you know, revealed that he was a pastor, and he goes, oh, I don't want to have anything about that. And he said, okay, no, no problem. If you don't want to talk about spiritual stuff, no problem. They, they, you know, they fly a little bit. Ten minutes later, the guy says hey, to the pastor, he goes, hey, so do you think I'm okay? He goes, well, I don't know. I, n- I never met you before, but, you know, I know you, I know you don't want to talk about it, so, you know, we don't need to talk about it. So about 10, 15 minutes later, he's like, you know, because I do a lot of good things. I'm like, well, do you want to talk about it or you don't want to talk about it? No, I don't want to talk about it. That's fine. We don't talk about it. About 10 minutes later, you know, and I, I'm nice to my wife. I, you know, so, so the pastor says, let's talk about it. Let's just talk about, you know, all the things you're throwing out to say that whatever it is. He, so, so we ask him a question. He goes, so let's just take uh, Mother Teresa. Like on a scale from, and he drew this chart out. He says, so on a scale from, you know, uh, one to a hundred. Where do you think? You know, I mean, I know she wasn't perfect, but where do you think Mother Teresa would fall, like on this scale? He goes, and he handed the guy the chart, and he goes, "She's got to be pretty high on the thing, you know, because he's thinking this is how you get to God by being nice and helping a lot of people that are in need." So he says, "Hey, let's let's put MT right here, Mother Teresa. She's, you know, she's probably maybe in an eighty. You know what I'm saying?" And so he goes, "Okay, all right, let's put it, let's let's go with that. How about Billy Graham? What do you think? I mean, yeah, a guy talked a lot about God, went all over the world. And everything. Where would you put Billy Graham? And so now he's kind of like, is she better than Mother Teresa? And all he's like, I'd put her right here, you know, right there. He says, so you know, how about yourself? You know, where would you where would you put yourself? And he goes, well, I'd probably put myself right here under Billy Graham. <laughs> Hey, that's a pretty good score. <laughs> you know, now some of us would like, um, let's see, is there another page that goes longer than, you know, whatever, right? He said, okay, here's the deal. And this is what Eliphaz is, was revealed. The problem is, is that in God's presence, he says, I, perfection, imperfection cannot be in the presence of a perfect God. It could be 99.9, but certainly this cannot go there. This cannot go there. And certainly, Bob, this cannot go there. A strong man, a Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, no matter what they did, cannot reach a perfect God. That does not make sense in this world. We are rewarded by our good acts. We are rewarded. If you haven't had a car accident in a while, you get rewards for that. My father grew up and he um, worked in an ammunition plant. They made ammunition. They stirred TNT in these big barrels. And every month in our life, we got a safety prize. And the longer they didn't have an accident, the bigger the prize was. So, you know, you start out with an ink pen, 
And then you work up and like, dude, we're getting a toaster oven, you know? I mean, because they hadn't had an accident in like two years. I mean, it took that long to get a toaster oven. And then something would happen, and then we'd go back to, you know, to an ink pen or whatever. That's how our world works, but God says it can't work that way. I cannot allow imperfection in my presence. So this is the gospel of Christ that answers this question. For the person that's sitting here today saying, well, I I am a good person, great. I, I do give to others, great. I have good behavior, I'm kind, great. But in God's economy, that is not a currency that will get you to God. Because if you're banking on that, then you have this big unknown that religion cannot answer. How good is it that is required? Is it an 80? Is it a 70? Is it a 60? Certainly any of us would say, well, I'm a five. That's not getting in. But it's the 80s of the world that say, maybe it's just good enough. And God said it has to be a 100. And you can't be a 100. And because you can't be a 100 and work yourself up to me, I, the perfect one, am going to come to you and shed the perfect blood that we sing about this morning, and I'm coming to you so that you are made perfect in my eyesight. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ that drives four 20-something boys to ride 20 hours in a bus with chickens and goats to the border of China and say, God has come for you. That's what would drive a person. That's what should drive you to the cubicle next to you to have the courage enough to say, you gotta, you got to try a different way. you got to take a different path. The path you're on will not lead you to God. It is God who comes to you on his path. You see? The strong man. Now let's take the weak one because I think this, for so many of us, we just want to jump up and cheer, Right? For those of us that came to Christ later in life, we want to jump up and cheer because, you know what? I tried that a lot and still feel distant, still felt distant from God. So when we get the gospel and it, and it, and it captures us, man, we get excited. But there's this other side of us that's a little bit more subtle. And I think this is where it hits us as for those of who, uh, us who have accepted this deal. Now, here's, the, here's our part in this, by the way. Perhaps you're, you're sitting here today and think, hey, I'm, I'm here, or here, or here, or here, whatever, and I know what that's like. Christ came for you. He died on the cross to take all of this imperfection and erase it in the sight of God. Our response to that is saying, God, I give up on this effort. I give up on it. I relinquish it. I, the Bible word is, I repent of it. In other words, I turn from it that I cannot make my way to you. I turn from that effort. And I take this, this, this sacrifice that you, made, that you made and I embrace it. That is going to be now my confidence, not my piety, my good behavior, my strength, my giving, my, all that stuff. That's going to be 
my confidence now. That's called faith. To put my faith, my allegiance into following Christ and to embracing his gift of forgiveness on the cross as my confidence. I wonder today what your confidence is. You know, the age-old question, which really hasn't grown out of date, is that if you were to die tonight and you stood before God, before, before God Almighty, and he said, why should I allow you into my presence? Our only answer can be is because I have complete, utter, whole confidence in what Christ did for me alone. And I stand before you, God, perfect, not because of any of this stuff, but I stand before you perfect because my entire faith is in the blood of Jesus. Are you there? Are you there? You have to ask yourself that question. Don't have confidence, strong man. Don't have confidence in any of the things the world says makes you get there. Don't have confidence in that. Now, let's, let's talk about the rest, uh, the, the, those of us that perhaps have already embraced that. And let's say you say yourself, you know, if you say, hey, where do you find yourself here on this chart? Boy, I'm, I'm going to go down in this range. Steve McCoy, right there. Now we ask ourselves the question, is the weak man, can the weak man is more pure than God? We would absolutely say, are you kidding me? That never entered my mind. You know, am I pure enough for God? I've never said you betcha to, to any of those kinds of questions. But what we have to ask ourselves the question then is what God offers on the cross pure enough for me? Pure enough for me. Because even as a Christian, listen carefully because I'm going to hit some strings here. Even as a Christian, when there, there's patterns of sin and misbehavior, there are moments where you can ask yourself, I can ask myself, hmm, I wonder if I've crossed the line here. I wonder if God can forgive me. I wonder if I've done it too many times. Those types of things don't come from God. They come from our enemy and a guilty conscience and a guilty conscience Sometimes Now, if we're in this pattern of sin, we might have to ask ourselves a question like, hey, have I, have I you know, reached this intersection? But if we're confident that we have, there's this thing. So I want to I share with you. We, I've shared with you before, but this is super important. And um, it is, you know, if you've been in the faith for any amount of time and you multiply the number of Sundays, you've heard messages and sermons and podcasts and everything, it's in, in the hundreds, if not thousands. And someone preached a message when I was struggling with this at one time years ago, decades ago, and it has probably been the top message that has ever stuck with me in my life. It's a story of Joseph and his brothers, his Joseph brothers. You remember uh, Jacob loved Joseph more than the rest of his brothers, and they you know, threw him into slavery, and he went through these major hardships. And at the end of that story, 
after they had sold him Joseph to slavery. At the end of that story, uh, Joseph was now living in Egypt, and and, uh, uh, Jacob and his boys were living in Canaan, and there was this great union, reunion, and, uh, you know, Joseph revealed, hey, I'm your brother, and I'm cutting the story way short, and, uh, and I'm your brother, and, and they, you know, embraced each other, and they were freaked out because of what they did to him, and so there was this whole thing where, like, gosh, I wonder, you know, if, if everything's okay, and Joseph, being a picture of Jesus in many ways, said, no, I, I'm embracing you, and I'm going to give you property, and they called dad down from Canaan, and they were living in Egypt, that's how they got there when Moses shows up. And so they, you know, they, they, they're living there and everything's so cool. And Joseph has given them land. I mean, the guy that they you know, persecuted and he's like giving them land and everything. And then dad dies. Now the boys reveal something. They go to Joseph in the very final chapter of Genesis. They go to Joseph when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead. Now keep in mind, Joseph had already forgiven them. Joseph had already given him a lot of land to live in, didn't have to do that, could have thrown him in prison, he had the power, but he said, no, I'm, I'm, I want to show you what entire forgiveness is like. Dad dies, when Joseph's brother saw that dad was dead, father was dead, they said, hey, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us? Okay, he had already exercised this amazing grace of forgiveness, but I wonder What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? Keep in mind, these guys that are speaking this are forgiven people. The transaction was already done. The deed was signed. The ink was dried. Everything was cool. But maybe you asked... The same question. I wonder if God really forgave me. So they sent word to Joseph. They didn't even have courage to even say it to his face. And they lied. Hey, Dad gave these instructions before he died. No, he didn't. He really didn't. There was nothing ever written about this. But they lied. And they said, uh, here's what Dad said. This is what you're to say to Joseph. Uh, I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. They're, they're making it up. So, hey, Dad said, hey, make sure you forgive us. Why? Because they weren't confident. They had not believed so fully in the grace that Joseph gave to them, and they hadn't embraced it like, man, I'm going to live it out And even when they had all the property and all the things that Joseph had given, they had lived with this thing in the back of their mind the entire time, even when dad was alive, the entire time, I can't believe how great it is. I can't believe that a guy like this would forgive me. I can't believe that he would actually give us, I can't believe it. And because their conscience was clogged and not cleared, it affected the way they lived. Are you with me? So they give this message, this fake message from dad who had already died. Now they say, please forgive the sins. You mean re-forgive the sins? Forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. They're going to play the spiritual card, right? And when their message came to Joseph, it broke his heart. He wept. Like, what does it take for me to show you 
that my love for you, even when you stink, which most of us are right now, by the way, Even when we are at our worst, God says, that's exactly the time when Christ came to us. Not when we had dressed up for Sunday. Not when we were at our best. Not when we were just, whoo, zinging along, saying, no, it would be a good time for me to die. But God demonstrates, not just talks about, demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the message of the gospel. How can we be okay with God? God is okay with us. And that is the message of the gospel. Let me share with you one more thing. Can you stand the heat? If we confess all of our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful. He is just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from, would you say it together? All unrighteousness. All right, let me blow your mind because we're going to celebrate the picture of this through communion today. But if you can withstand another, just another little gap of thinking, watch this. What happened after the cross is phenomenal. Christ entered the real temple in heaven and he presented himself as a sacrifice for our sin. Had he not come back from the dead, he couldn't have done that. Okay? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. We'll end with this. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle in heaven. The one they built here was imperfect. It was made by human hands. That's not made man up in heaven. That is to say, not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, that whole system they had in the, New Testament, the Old Testament, but he entered the most holy place in heaven once and for all, once for all by his blood, having obtained eternal redemption. You see, back here on earth in the Old Testament, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctified them so that they were outwardly clean, How much, here it is the word, how much more? (laughs) How much more did Christ have to offer? Then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself, see here it is, unblemished. We needed an unblemished lamb to get us to an unblemished God, to an unblemished to God, and watch, cleanse our inner self, our consciousness, from acts that lead to death. Why? So that we may serve the living God with confidence. I wake up just like you do every morning, look in the mirror and say, there's old Steve-O. I'm still, you know, in my eyes down here. And what helps me live through the day and say, I'm going to serve God with confidence is the blood of Christ. For us who are believers in Christ, every single day we're crucified with Christ And that's where we get our clear conscience, and that's where we can serve God. Are you serving God with confidence, or is this thing haunting you like, I wonder if God really forgave you? And the answer is, oh, mortal, weak man, absolutely the cry that the the blood of Jesus can cleanse you from all sin, no matter what it is. Otherwise, you have to ask yourself this question then what sin is that that's haunting you? 
that is greater than the blood of Christ. You see, if you don't think God can forgive you, then you think your sin is greater than the blood of Christ, and it's not true at all. We're going to celebrate communion today as Christ told us to, to remember this. And maybe some of you need reminding of this today, like, wow, man, I need to hear this because you know, guilt has had a chain around my, my soul's ankle. Some of you may are be here today. Listen carefully. I know it's warm, but listen carefully. Some of you may be here today, and you know what I'm talking about in your effort to get to God. And maybe today you would say, wow, I'm giving up on my own effort. And with confidence, I'm going to embrace. I'm going to embrace Christ's sacrifice. I'm going to accept him in my life. Would you, would you be open to that? There is no other way. No religion, no good works, no giving, no kindness will get you there. I'd like to pray with you, and then we're going to, we're going to open the door, and uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much, God, for allowing us God, the understanding, the whisper of your voice, that's how so often it comes, and God, it's the whisper. I wonder, God, who you're whispering to this morning. I wonder who you're, you would say, give up, give up. I want you to be my son, my daughter, my child. Give up on thinking you're good and kind enough or giving enough or merciful enough or any of those things. Give up on good behavior. Give up. I wonder who, who's here today that would say, I am, am ready for the first time in my life to embrace with confidence, to put my confidence, not in myself, but put my confidence on Christ's gift of forgiveness. Before we celebrate this, you have to accept this by faith. And I just wonder, in this room, before we celebrate the Lord's, the Lord's Supper, is there anyone here for the first time by a by a very private raising of your hand that would say, that's me. That's me. I want to put my confidence in the, in the blood of Christ and not myself. Is there anyone here in this moment of prayer that you would, would like to raise your hand? I'm going to privately pray with you in my heart. Anyone here before we move to the Lord's Supper that you would just say, hey, that's me. I want, to, I want God to see my hand. God, I give up. This is a sign of me surrendering. God, I give up to you. We're not going to call you out, embarrass you, ask you to come up front or anything crazy like that. Before we move to prayer, is there anyone here? Father, there may be those here that are, have, there's something haunting them. There's a pattern of sin, a specific sin. We just ask God today that the forgiveness that you offer is good enough. And so, Father, we, we offer ourselves to you now and celebrate 
what Christ has done. So as we come, God, we come thankful today. Deeply thankful, God, that it's not our efforts, but it is your, uh, it is your uh, offering to us. That Christ died, that Christ was buried, that Christ came back from the dead, that we celebrate in the name of Jesus.